Hello there, and welcome to this Human Life Podcast. My name is Melissa Sonova, and this is the accompanying podcast to the book This Human, and we're currently in the throes of a series of episodes that we're calling The Design Fables, where we write a short story and pack as much experience and insight and wisdom as we possibly can in that story and hopefully you get to benefit from that (laughs) and then as we did with the other episodes I will read the story to you and then unpack a few of the concepts in it and that'll be us. So thanks again for tuning in and listening. Today's design fable is about the designer who found his way through. And away we go. Anne sat in the middle of a sea of post-its. Every square inch of white space was covered with a data point. He and his team had just completed the data collection in a six-month epic design research project, and he was quietly overwhelmed and slightly in awe of the amount of work they had done. How are we going to make something out of this, he thought to himself. Jack came along and sat down next to Arne. That's a lot of post-its. Yep, said Arne. Now what? Silence. Arne had a bunch of options in his mind about what they should do next. The team had been analysing data as they had been going, so already had some emerging findings up on the wall, but they hadn't dug deeper than initial reflections and groupings. Well, Arne took a deep breath in. We could go back to our objectives and outcomes and reconnect with that, or we can dive straight into affinity mapping and get some initial themes together, or we can do a team reflection and see what we've already learned and get into each other's mind palace. Arne laughed. Jack looks confused about the last reference, giggled and made a mental note to raise it at Friday drinks. The hardest part about this phase in the work is knowing the best next step. People have different ways they like to make sense of all this information. Some like to take a methodological approach, cataloguing, structuring, lookup tabling, and some prefer to take an intuitive approach. I don't know yet how to direct the team. Jack reflected on this statement. It was so refreshing to see a senior practitioner sitting on the floor, willingly sharing with a colleague that he's not sure what to do next, yet. Jack was used to working with people more senior than him who always felt they needed to have an answer. And often he had felt that answer led to wasting time or heading in the wrong direction or was just plain unclear. Arne was letting things sit. He was acknowledging that there were a few different things that could be done as the next thing and was also considering the people in the team and how they like to work. I'm going to let this percolate a little more, said Arne, and calmly walked out of the room. On a walk... Arne was thinking about how he and other leaders help people new to synthesis in human-centered design context understand the experience of that state. They have a funny diagram that shows the emotional journey most go on when working on a project and chuckled to himself, recognizing that he and his team were entering what is fondly called the pit of synth despair. There's so much information and you can't yet see your way through the data to clarity. And slow rising panic starts to creep in. What if all this doesn't have the answer that we're looking for? What if we can't help the business with the challenge they brought to us? Arn bumped into a member of his team, Pranav. They talked about the slogan on Pranav's t-shirt, 
do epic shit and Anne asked how they were going to turn the research they'd completed into some epic work. Pranav listened to Arne's perspective. Arne repeated the conversation he'd just had with Jack, and in his usual chilled-out fashion, Pranav said, why don't you ask the team? Arne noted that despite all his training in human-centered design and his years of experience in leading design teams, he still fell into the habit of needing to find the answer by himself. He was okay with not knowing and what to do next, but did feel it was his responsibility to set direction for the team and to come up with that direction on his own. It was a great and timely reminder. He and Pranav walked back to their studio and he gathered the project team together. Arne started. Thanks for coming in, folks. We seem to have collected a bit of data. The team giggled. Our next challenge is to wade through this explosion of data and start to convert it and transmute it into some knowledge and insight. There are a few ways we can tackle this, and I know people tend to have their own preferences to deal with this much information, so I wanted to hear from each of you. How would you like to tackle the synthesis? Betty, who was the most senior person in the room organisationally, but not as experienced in HCD as Anne, spoke first. I find it really important to connect with why we are here and what we are trying to inform. Without a close connection to the outcomes we are trying to work towards, I feel lost in my sense-making, she said. Alex spoke next. My preference is to get organised. We have a lot of information in different groups and are at different levels of analysis with that information. Some stuff we've spent more time thinking about than others. I'd like to work out some sort of taxonomy for the data so we can track our work and make sure we don't miss anything. Then it was Jack's turn. I think it's important for us to reconnect with what we already know and see if we can flush out some assumptions and biases that might already be creeping into our thinking. I know I tend to look for certainty as soon as possible, like a solution I know we can build, so I'd find it helpful to make sure we don't converge too early. And so the conversation went on. Anne asked questions and clarified approaches and understood the intent behind each of the suggestions. As the conversation went on, the appropriate pathway started emerging in Arne's mind. He jumped up to the glass wall, grabbed a marker and started drawing out a potential pathway to synthesis. Betty volunteered to facilitate the reconnection with purpose and outcome session and Alex gleefully set to work coming up with her research log and synthesis tracker. Through giving the appropriate space, time and reaching out to wisdom of his team, Arne was able to see the most appropriate way through, which wasn't his way through. He wasn't a fan of spreadsheets and lookup tables, and his preference would have been to dive straight into the thematic grouping and digging deeper by interpreting their work. Anne realised the team needed to connect with a few things before launching into that step. It was a productive session, and at the end, he and the team were clear on how they were going to start. The plan on the board provided clarity about the next few steps and an overall approach to how they were going to get to insights. Arne reconnected with his own practice. He remembered that not knowing has a couple of dimensions. The first is not knowing in the moment and being comfortable with that. He'd nailed that bit. Then he remembers that part of not knowing is to be okay to use the collective wisdom and experience of others instead of going it alone. <sighs> okay, Arne. I don't know about you, but I've been in a situation where we have been engaged to do really significant work over, 
you know, years and uh, the ongoing research portion of those projects can feel overwhelming at times. And, you know, you have all the good intentions to make sure that as you go through the, the data, you're staying, you know, on target with what it is that you're there to, to do in the first place, you know, the, the challenge that you're there to help illuminate a way forward through. But, you know, sometimes the things that you uncover point to things that are fascinating and really interesting but may not necessarily be in line with what you're there to solve. It does take a little bit of discipline and a little bit of structure to be able to keep the synthesis on track, especially when you've got so many dimensions that you're working with. But there are a couple of things that I wanted to unpack that are sort of mentioned in this story. The first one was just that point around how synthesis can feel overwhelming. And um, there's so many different forms of procrastination that I know that I can now diagnose within myself. I can tell when I'm procrastinating around diving into synthesis and also seen in others. And and one of those is moving post-its around without actually doing any thinking. So, you know, have we color-coded the post-its correctly? And um, do we have enough Sharpies for us to be able to continue on with the synthesis session? And let's do a room tidy. And, you know, all of these things are actually worthwhile activities. It's just sometimes we need to be just aware. And this is the self-awareness beat that I just keep talking about. Whether or not the thing that we're doing is actually helping with the progress of synthesis or actually perhaps keeping us away from it because we're not sure where to start. And sometimes doing those activities is actually great because you're moving your body around and you perhaps stop your intense focus on trying to find the answer and then halfway through the room tidy you go ah I got it I've got a really good idea I know how to approach this so I don't mean to say that doing those things is not helpful but it's really important to know when you're procrastinating because it just feels too complex and you're a little bit overwhelmed with where to start and when it actually is helping you think and my experience in being able to deal with the overwhelm of knowing where to start and how to synth is actually just starting somewhere and my go-to place is to do a really really high level thematic analysis and just kind of go okay like what are the themes that we're seeing here and one of the things that I've noticed is that some people who like the traceability of who said what from what workshop and and that sort of thing can can be quite reluctant to move post-its off their original places you know where they were captured because they're linked people have spatial memory and they can look at that post-it and remember who said that thing and and all of that and thematic group work might actually require you to move post-its from one place to another and create new themes and I guess that's when the person in your team who might love the you know air table type stuff the research logs and, and all of that kind of stuff comes in really handy because you've still got that traceability and I think that is actually important so from that lens you know that feeling of overwhelm I think the best thing to do is to just start and one of the things that I find a really great place to start is to just see what the high level similarities are between things and also to be asking yourself you know what's not the same what's where where is their dissonance where is their disagreement between one particular cohort and another cohort and then you're on your way and then you can start moving into interpretation and asking the why questions and always, always um, remembering to keep a log of where you still feel there's gaps. No research design is perfect. As you go through the synthesis process, you may find that there is a gap in your knowledge and don't be shy to label it and to know that because you can then 
perhaps later on be able to fill that gap or if you can't you can acknowledge it and it can form a part of your recommendations it's not a bad thing based on the assumption actually that your research design was pretty good in the first place and you do have relevant data (laughs) but I think I don't know speak for myself it can be a little bit hard on ourselves sometimes this process and the second thing that I wanted to talk about was that moment where Alex, who's a member of Arne's team, comes in and sits down next to Arne and says, so that's, you know, a lot of post-its, and asks his leader what they're going to do next. And Arne very honestly says, I don't know yet. And I talk about this stuff all the time in the deep leadership coaching that I do, which is being able to almost unlearn some of the behaviours that we're taught in maybe more corporate Australia, I don't know. I'm sure it's pervasive globally, but that, you know, being a good leader means you you know the answers and you can direct people under every situation in any context. And sometimes the context is complex or chaotic and it's actually really difficult to think through everything and you just actually need to act through it. And the leadership that Arne was modelling to so Alex, no, it was Jack who came and sat down, was that it's actually okay to not have the answer in the moment. But Arne was really committed to being able to direct the team by the end of the day. It's not like he shrugged and walked away and said, oh, I don't know. That's not really the, the message here. The message is you may be asked a question in a moment in time where you don't know the answer to it, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to have it, which is why we said yet. And then the other thing as well that I know I have felt as a leader, but I have also recognized in others that I've worked with, is that if you don't know the answer, some people are okay with saying, look, I don't know the answer yet, but then feel that it's on them to find it, that they then have to go off by themselves and do some really deep thinking and then come back and go, ta-da, I've worked it out, guys and gals, let's go this way kind of thing. And, you know, his chance meeting with Pranav with his colourful T-shirt, reminded Arne of that, reminded Arne that he didn't have to go it alone and that actually another opportunity to model great leadership was to actually bring the team in and kind of go, okay, everyone, talk to me. How do you want to progress? And, of course, all of this is, you know, meant to make sense in the context of human-centred design and, and all of that. I know that there are other situations like emergency rooms and first responders and perhaps some military contexts where the leader going, oh, I don't know what to do, is perhaps not the most appropriate response. So just a tiny little caveat there. But, yeah, there were the two things that I wanted to unpack. There is a very beautiful community over at Mighty Networks called This Human Community where these fables get posted at the beginning of the week and then I do the podcast and that gets published on every second Thursday where there's a you know group of people, like-minded individuals who are interested in deepening their practice and interested in improving themselves as people but also as practitioners and leaders. So if that's something that you want to be a part of, the link is in the um, show notes so head over there and join us as always if you want to explore working with me one-on-one head over to melissanova.com and you can book some time with me to have an initial conversation i'm not going to be available to do anything new until august i have some things that i need to take care of from a well-being perspective so i'm going to be a little bit uh, absent from the sound waves and 
the digital platforms and stuff. But I'm looking forward to being back with you again after August. As always, thank you for listening and I'll see you on the other side. Thanks. Bye.